2: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Matthew Baker on his new collection of stories, Why Visit America? Matthew Baker is the author of Hybrid Creatures, a collection of stories written in hybrid languages, and the children's novel If You Find This. Named one of Variety's ten storytellers to watch, Matthew has written for publications including The Paris Review, American Short Fiction... One Story and Electric Literature. He has received grants and fellowships from the Fulbright Commission and the McDowell Colony, among others. And he is the founding editor of Nashville Review. And Matthew's latest book, another collection of short stories, Why Visit America, we're going to be talking about today. Matthew, welcome to Little Atoms.
3: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: So first of all, tell me how you would describe this collection.
3: So Why Visit America is a unique collection. So there are 13... parallel universe stories in the book, each set in a different region of the United States. Um, And over the course of the book, together the stories span all 50 states of the country. But although each of the stories in the book is speculative, um, together the stories are meant to create a composite portrait of the real United States. So I like to think of the book as a through-the-looking-glass reflection of who we are as a country.
2: And it's, it's sort of weird reading some slightly dystopian stories while we're living through an actual pandemic. Obviously, the stories were written before that. So let's talk about over what period these were written and what the sort of America you were addressing in these stories was like at the time. Yeah, uh,
3: the first story in the book uh, was written in 2009, so over 10 years ago now. So I started writing the stories in the book, um, while Obama was president of the U.S., and um, and obviously a lot has, has happened since then, including the pandemic. So, I, yeah, I never imagined that I would be releasing this book of dystopian stories into an actual dystopia, but here we are.
2: Um, and the book, as well as being, as you said, a selection of those 13 stories, sort of mirror images of, of the real America, the book is also a collection of sort of genre experiments as well. You've chosen to write the stories in different genres. Tell me something about that.
3: Yeah, I love the idea that I like to think of the book as a guidebook of sorts to the United States. And so I love the idea that over the course of the book, not only would you visit all of these different regions of the United States and each of the 50 states in the country, but that the book could also take you on a tour through different American genres. So each of the stories in the book is speculative. Each one is set in a different sort of parallel universe to the United States, but each one is also playing with a, a different genre. So there's dystopian fiction, utopian fiction, there's a Western noir, detective mystery, horror, erotica. It's uh, a very strange assortment of stories.
2: You've mentioned the travel aspects, the the sort of portrait of all 50 states of America in the book, and while we do get to see parts of America in all of the stories, I'm thinking particularly here of there's, there's one story called The Tour, where there is there's this great sequence of basically page after page of first of all descriptions of the American (laughs) landscape, but then descriptions of individual strange human behavior that our narrator is uh, witnessing while traveling around. And I wonder if this is something that you've done yourself. I wanted to talk about whether or not you've taken these travels.
3: Yeah, that's a a brilliant question. So growing up, I had two families, my mom and my stepdad's family, and then my dad and my stepmom's family and during the summers when we were off from school I would take trips uh, around the country with each different family um, to different places so you know each each set of parents had a minivan and I had a couple sisters in each house and so you know for example one summer we took a drive with my mom's family out to Montana where I had an uncle and some cousins who were living um, and did this huge uh, cross-country road trip out west. Or another summer um, when my dad's family, we took a trip to New York City for the first time. And that happened to be actually uh, the summer before 9-11. And so we took, me and my sisters, you know, took photos in front of the, the Twin Towers. And because we were so young, we didn't even really fully understand what they were. But then a couple of months later saw them knocked down to the ground. So anyway we um, yeah, we we traveled all over the country when we were kids and I do think that that probably did have a, a big effect on on me and the way that I think about this country and,
2: and also on the stories in the book. And indeed those towers um make an appearance in the book, although in a way that I I don't particularly want to talk about because I don't want to uh, I don't want to give too much away about that <laughs> particular story. And so let's talk about some of the stories more closely. And I mentioned the tour. Um, it's absolutely one of my favourites in the book, and it's it's a great example of a of a story that has multiple meanings. In that you know the title explicitly refers to a celebrity, a sort of you know near future sort of celebrity sex worker on tour across the country but also the protagonist of the story as I said describes himself as a tourist and it has this sort of great litany of, of of sort of travel across America he's a truck driver and crisscrosses the country and then even later on it also basically references his own past his tour of duty when he served in the military tell us something more about that story
3: yeah that story is one of the last that uh, I wrote for the book and I think it, I've been thinking a lot about sex workers in the United States and the ongoing debate over whether or not sex work should be should be legal. And, um, you know, in the U.S., there's an estimated one million sex workers who live and work here. And so the story for me began with this idea of really just a what if question of if we made this legal and if sex workers were treated with not just uh respect, but with the same sort of degree of American obsession with celebrities and and stardom um what what would it look like
2: and indeed there are when thinking back on this story there are aspects of it that the automation like you know automated trucks and things that smack of a vague capitalist dystopia in the story as well but the actual central premise of the people obsessed with the lives of these celebrity sex workers actually seems a much better situation than the current situation
3: yeah i mean for for all the stories in the book i mean i do think of them as dystopias in certain in a certain sense but none of them these aren't like Children of Men or The Handmaid's Tale dystopias that are overtly oppressive environments. And in many of the stories, you know, a story like Wrights, for instance, you could ask the vast majority of the characters in the story, are you living in a dystopia or not? And they would say, no, I I love this country that I live in. This is the right way to, to live and organize a society. And there's just one character in the story who would say, I live in a dystopia. And the U.S. and maybe the world at large at the moment has entered a more sort of overtly dystopian environment. But even before this, I think during the Obama years or under the Bush administration or the Clinton administration in the U.S., I guess I'm, I've always been interested in those outcasts or those outliers, those people who are living in a society that many people are happy in and. Don't question at all, but who, for some reason, experience that society as a dystopia.
2: The story, the transition. I wanted to talk about next, and our protagonist in this story basically wants to give up their body and become purely digital, to be so their their sort of consciousness to be digitized. But of course, one can't help but think that the parallel story of again. I mean, I I don't know when this story was actually written, but um perhaps if it was a few years ago you might not have envisaged the world we live in now where trans rights themselves seems to have conjured up a especially over here in the UK absolute hysteria
3: yeah the story that story I think was written I want to say 2013 so that one is also going back away. but each of the stories in the book is speculative but for a collection of sci-fi stories, my process was maybe a bit unusual in that I would always start with a concept or a big idea I wanted to write about, but it was never the concept, the initial concept was never some future technology or or strange phenomenon. I would start with some social or political issue in the real world that I wanted to try and find a way to write about through fiction. So with that story, I think I'd been looking for a way to try to write about the trans experience through science fiction and at a certain point realized that there, was, that there might be a way into that story through transhumanism, which was something that had fascinated me for a long time, but that, I, um, but that I didn't think I would necessarily ever write about.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: You're yeah, listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Matthew Baker and we're talking about his collection of short stories Why Visit America. And Matthew, I'd like to I'd like to talk for a little while about the the story Life Sentence and I'll just ask you to um to lay out the central idea behind that story.
3: Yeah, so Life Sentence is a story set in a parallel universe Kansas and the story opens with a 40-year-old convict Who's being returned to his house, and he has had his memory wiped. His entire life of memories has been wiped from his mind. So he returns to his house, knowing nothing about who he was or who he is, and has to reintegrate back into society with his family after committing some unnamed crime. So it's a uh, it's set in a parallel universe to the United States where instead of being sent to prison when you commit a crime you receive a memory wipe maybe that's a year maybe that's uh, a few years or if you commit a crime bad enough your entire life gets erased
2: i can't stop thinking about this story you know bearing in mind you know america imprisons more people than anyone else in the world you know the prison system is highly divided along for instance like racial lines it's screwed the american penal system I can't decide whether I think this is a good idea or a bad idea. I just keep tossing. It's such a fantastic concept. I just keep tossing this idea. Would I want this? Would I prefer to lose a period of my life as a punishment than to be locked up? It's such a fantastic concept.
3: Especially if it's a life sentence. Yeah, I don't know. if, If someone came to me at this moment and said, you can keep your memories of your life up until now, but you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life, or we'll wipe everything you've lived up until now, but you'll get to stay and keep living with your family and live out the rest of your life as normal. I I don't know what choice I would make either. That is a, a almost impossible choice to make. But in the story, of course, there is no choice. There's only the wipe.
2: We've mentioned that some of these stories which, you know, seem like dystopias also have Elements in them that are not so much. And, you know, perhaps also that some of these stories, almost a slight tweak to sort of trends that are happening already in the US. Um, You mentioned the story that writes, which is... um, a world where obviously it's it, it's a world where climate change is happening and and you know people have elected to commit suicide once they reach a certain age and this is done with sort of great fanfare with parties and surrounded by their family another story one big happy family where um this is the sort of the detective noir story that you mentioned in terms of in terms of genre and and in this story the family has been dissolved and become the whole state basically so like children are reared away from their parents which in a lot of ways is you know this is an idea that might lead us towards some sort of equality. Just a a couple of weeks ago on this show I I talked to uh, the, the journalist Jenny Kleeman who had been sort of looking at technologies about birthing outside of the body for instance and ways in which perhaps the whole concept of birth and raising a family is predominantly done by the woman nowadays wherever we are and so both of these ideas seem to be the core of a good idea taken to an extreme, perhaps, is a way of describing it. Would you say
3: <laughs> that's a That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love the sci-fi anthology show Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, this book is similar to Black Mirror, and and I have heard a lot of people compare it to black mirror one distinction in my mind is that charlie seems to be obsessed with the impact of future technologies mm-hmm. on human life and i love stories about that and i love i love black mirror but i think as a writer and as a storyteller i'm more interested in maybe what you could call anthropological science fiction, more in the vein of Ursula K. Le Guin or something. And so yeah, many of the stories in the book are the only speculative element is what if we just organize society in a slightly different way.
2: I wanna talk a, a bit more closely about that one big happy family story. As I said, this is the in the style of a sort of detective noir and there's a sequence in the book where you use brilliantly repetition, where the this detective and his variously described meek sidekick are going to interview the friends of the uh, the protagonist of this story who has basically taken her own baby and run away. And the chapter's repeated. I want to talk about using that technique.
3: Yeah, I think I've always been fascinated with the the difference between how you might describe yourself to other people and how other people would describe you. And so that's a story where we learn about the protagonist almost entirely through other people describing the protagonist and speculating on what her motives might have been and whether or not she might have committed this crime. And so that the repetition for me, I was interested in, as you have this detective character going and interviewing each of these different people work as a detective can be very repetitive and you're asking you know a number of people the same questions the same questions again and again and again and again and maybe you're getting only slightly different answers and so i wanted to try to replicate that uh in a story
2: and just one other story I wanted to talk about then, and that's the, the titular story, Why Visit America. You said at the beginning, describing the travelogue element of some of these books, that you, know, you wanted them to be almost a travel guide. And indeed, this one literally is a travel guide to the newly independent town of America that has seceded from the United States. And I found this one, again, to be a speculative fiction, but almost the most hopeful story in the book, because it truly does seem to be a better place that they are founding in America. Tell me how this story came about.
3: The idea for the story first came to me, actually, while I was living in Ireland. Um, I lived in Dublin for a year, and I had never lived in another country before. And living in Ireland suddenly illuminated certain characteristics of the United States for me. I think there was something about that distance of leaving the United States and being able to look at it from the outside and also seeing some of the subtle cultural differences between Ireland and the United States that got me thinking a lot about the country that I had come from. And so one day the idea for the secession story came to me. And I loved the idea of writing a story in the form of a guidebook.
2: We've already discussed how a number of these stories are, are written in different genres. And obviously you've already mentioned a couple of authors, but you know, bearing the genre thing in mind as well, I just wanted to talk about um, some of the writers that might've been an influence on these stories.
3: Yeah, probably the biggest influences were Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale and Kazuo Ishiguro's novel, Never Let Me Go, which were both for me, of landmark reading experiences, um, you know, I'd never read books or stories like those before that were basically anthropological science fiction, and that were focused much more on um, on metaphor or talking about the real world through through science fiction. And another huge influence for me was Ursula K. Le Guin, who I didn't discover until I had already written. I was about halfway through writing the book at that point, but her her stories also really fascinate me, um, in particular her novel The Dispossessed. And I don't know why I'm drawn more towards writing anthropological science fiction than about writing than writing about technologies or going into the far future, into into deep space, but but that's what has always fascinated me.
2: Okay, just one more question from me, then, and then I'll get you to to read a bit, a, a bit of one of the stories, if you would. I 'll often see when I, I, I read the back of a book that this story has been optioned for film or something, and what that can often mean is the author is is paid a watcher money and then the book disappears off into the story disappears off into some you know development hell. <laughs> this collection of thirteen stories, according to the blurb, no less than eight of them have been optioned by multiple different production companies, so you must have had lots of different experiences there what's that been like what's actually happened? happening
3: <laughs> yeah it's been a very surreal few years and not just because of the global pandemic um yeah so eight of the stories in the book have been optioned um one by netflix one by amazon one by searchlight um one by fx and a, and a number of other studios and filmmakers and film has always been a really important storytelling medium to me when I was growing up, my grandfather was a police officer, but his his true love and his big obsession was film. So in, in his house, you know, he had just stacks and stacks and stacks of VHS cassette tapes, and he um, collected film memorabilia. Like you know, he had a replica of the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz, or, um, you know, he had a replica of the Maltese Falcon and all of these more obscure film memorabilia. And, um, and he also would try and get gigs appearing as an extra in big Hollywood films. So, you know, for instance, in, I don't know if you remember the film Con Air mm, that, uh, features this scene where, this airplane crashes on the Las Vegas Strip, and at the time he was in las vegas and so he got to you know appear in one scene in the background, like jumping up and down in the air so anyway, this is how much that he he loved film so from a very early age, he started exposing me to a number of his favorite films and a number of landmark films, like everything from you know the big blockbuster end of the spectrum, like Star Wars to the more art house end of the spectrum and older films like Citizen Kane so film has always been really important to me as a storyteller, but also just as a person and has had a huge influence on my life, so getting to sort of tiptoe into that that other storytelling world has been very exciting for me. So I don't know what will happen with each of the stories. and um, But I'm excited because the stories are all, I think, in, in very good hands creatively. And I think for some writers, maybe it can be scary to pass your story into the hands of other people and let them turn it into something else. But for me, it's really thrilling to, I don't know, I'm really excited to see what the stories look like on the screen in this new form. And I know that they'll have to adapt and evolve to, to really thrive in that other medium. So for some of them, it may like, it may be like seeing a, seeing a new story for the first time.
2: All right. Just to finish it off then, can I get you to, to read us a bit?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm just going to read from the title story of the book. So this is a story that's called why we America. And like you mentioned earlier, it's a story told in the form of a guidebook. Um, so I'll just read the first section of the guidebook, which is called The Origins of This Great Nation. There wasn't anything special about us. We were just an average town. Porch swings, waiting pools, split rail fences, pump jacks bobbing for oil on the horizon. Meetings at town hall were well attended, sure, but we weren't some hotbed of insurgents. We didn't subscribe to any one brand of politics. We couldn't even be plotted onto your basic left-right binary. Our town had everything, pro-lifers who supported gay marriage, pro-choicers who opposed gay marriage, climate change deniers who owned solar panels, universal healthcare campaigners who preferred private insurance, creationists with degrees in biology and geology, internet pirates whose views were unique to say the least, loyal conservatives, staunch liberals, moderates, radicals, and ornery retirees whose only real issue was guns. And yet, that winter, we found ourselves united by a common sentiment. We were fed up with our country. The executives were busy making donations that funded the campaigns of the politicians. The politicians were busy passing laws that protected the interests of the executives, and pretty much nothing else seemed to be getting done. We were anti-government, we were anti-corporate, but mostly we were normal people who couldn't afford to buy an election and had come to understand that our votes didn't mean shit. Hell, the executives were stepping down to take government appointments, and the politicians were stepping down to take corporate positions so fast That we couldn't even keep track of who was which anymore if there was any difference. There were libertarians among us who'd been pushing for our town to secede for years now, but not until that winter, watching legal forms of graft being flaunted across the country like never before, did our town seriously begin to consider the proposition. The matter soon came to dominate our meeting. We knew that from a certain perspective, seceding could be viewed as an act of treason, might mean arrest, might mean imprisonment, might even mean execution. And the debate at that final town hall meeting was appropriately heated. Most of us wavered back and forth, unsure which way we would vote until the very second that those slips of paper got passed around. Several of us were so nervous that we felt faint. Ultimately, however, the decision was unanimous. We would rather face handcuffs, jail, even a hanging, than spend another goddamn second living in that broke-down country. We'd voted to secede. And so, on that day of January 13th, in the year of 2018, we did. After the vote had been tallied, we sent notice of our secession to both local and global media outlets, along with the sheriff of Rio County, the governor of Texas, and the president of the United States. As dust fell across our streets. We filed out of the town hall, gathered around the poles in our yards, and took down old glory. We took the flags into our garbage cans, and then we sat in our houses, radios off, televisions off, computers off, sobered by what we had done. The initial thrill had faded. Now, exhausted, we felt only fear, holding hands with our spouses and our children and our parents and our neighbors. We waited for the repercussions, for the arrival of the Humvees and the helicopters and the tanks and the bombers, for our rebellion to be crushed by a show of force. But nothing happened. Nobody came. Nobody cared. At dawn, those of us who hadn't been able to sleep looked around and realized that our community was still standing. We were free. Our town had been called Plainfield. Although we had liked the name well enough for a town, we were concerned the name wouldn't seem stately enough for a nation. And while we didn't regret seceding, we weren't ashamed of our origins either. In fact, we felt a great deal of nostalgia for our homeland. So, in memory of our former country, that was what we decided to name our new nation, America.
2: So I've been talking to Matthew Baker. We've been talking about his story collection, Why Visit America, which is out in the UK from Bloomsbury. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about it.
3: Thank you again for having me out. It's been a pleasure.
2: This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening.